0: Open your Bible in uh, Genesis chapter two. I want to share something with you that can that can help you get you to think. Here's an interesting question to start you thinking: Does God determine your destiny, or do you determine it? One of the dilemmas that we have among prophetic people is we are looking for God to do things all the time, and I believe it's great that we do that. We do need to be hungry for God. You also have to balance up the need for personal responsibility. And I enjoyed very much Dave's message last week about the challenge for personal maturity and the need, firstly, to take responsibility, responsibility for your life, for your choices, your decisions, your emotions, uh, the way you think. One of the interesting things I teach when I do deliverance is that if you've got demons, they are your demons. So don't go blaming anyone. You've got to make some decisions that will change that dynamic in your life. And uh, the Bible's very clear, you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you, you submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from you. So the problem is, we find, is we live in a culture of blame, where everyone is wanting to blame someone else for why they are like they are, rather than seeing the great gift God has given you of a free will to make choices that will totally change your future. And I want to focus around that today. Decisions determine your destiny. Decisions determine your destiny. I want to just pick up uh, two or three thoughts around decision. I want to look at one, two people that approached a situation, and for one of them, their life was ruined on that one decision. For another person, their life went from strength to strength on that same, making a different decision about the same issue. Uh, I've been talking with more than one, with several people this week, and. And, and uh, In each case, they were looking back over their life at how they got where they got and mixed feelings, by the way, you know, some joyful feelings and then some feelings of regret and pain, and then we're talking about how to move forward from that. So personal responsibility means owning responsibility or taking ownership of your life, your choices, your decisions. Personal responsibility is looking out for what God entrusted you. And I want to go into this chapter here, pick up a couple of thoughts about how God deals with us. Because if you don't understand this, then you'll be living out of waiting for God to do something all the time rather than initiating in faith and seeing God work with you. And God will never do for you what he's called you to do for yourself. And then we can't do what only God can do. So there's a balance that has to be struck between it. And uh, your perspective is how you view things. And, and I, I want to share just a few things. Let's have a look in Genesis chapter 2. It says in verse uh, 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you will surely die. So I want you to, as we look at that, I want to show you something about how God treats or works with us. First thing to understand is the, the greatest gift God has given to you, apart from the Holy Spirit, is your free will, your ability to choose what you're going to do with your life and how you're going to conduct your life and where your life will go. It is an immense, priceless gift, because when God gave you free will, He took a risk that you would abuse that responsibility and make dumb choices, how many have made a few dumb choices? Man, we've all had dumb choices. But God had already provided for the dumb choices. Before God gave man free will, he also provided that Christ would die on the cross. So anticipating that man would mess it up, God provided an answer for the bad choices. However, you can't stop the reaping that comes with bad choices. There are certain aspects that will happen in your life as a consequence of dumb choices. Simply this, if you don't put away money, you'll have no money when you're older. It's really quite simple. And God can forgive you for bad financial choices. It doesn't change that uh, your position is still not strong. So you notice several things that that, that are in here. The first thing we see is God gave man freedom in the garden. So God has given you a garden. He's given you a sphere of activity. He's given you uh, resources. He's given you a life to live. He's given you a whole realm or sphere of influence within which you can operate. It's your garden. Your garden is also your heart. What lives in your heart is your decision. Uh, uh, Resentment can live in your heart. Bitterness can live in your heart. Disappointment can live in your heart. Uh, Negative attitudes can live in your heart. It is your garden, and God's mandate to you for your garden is guard it or watch over what's in it, and secondly, cultivate it because you will eat what the fruit of that garden is. So every one of us has a garden. Your garden is the sphere of influence you have, and God's God's, uh, um, uh, blessing for you is you've got choice what you do with it. You have great choice, but there are certain boundaries. So God gives us freedom of choice, but also sets a boundary. And the boundary really is a respect for him and an honoring of him. All he said was, don't eat the fruit of that tree. You eat the fruit of that tree, you'll die. So God gave man immense freedom. Immense freedom. Immense freedom. Immense freedom. When you got sent, when Jesus Christ came into your life, immense freedom. That's why it says, stand fast in the liberty. Immense freedom. You've got freedom to choose. Freedom to decide what you do with your life. Freedom, how you're going to uh, direct your life. But there are also boundaries. The boundaries are respect God, place value on your relationship with Him, and also on His principles for success. So there's the first thing we see here. Personal choices will determine the course of your life. Your choices will determine the course of your life. Your choices, not someone else's. You say, oh, you don't understand how badly I got treated. Well, it's not what they did to you. It's how you've responded will determine what happens in your life. Think about it. Your finances. Your finances are where they are today because of decisions you made yesterday. You bought on credit yesterday, and you found that that thing that should have cost you 1000 cost you about 1600 altogether, and it's running down in value. That uh, Your finances are where they are today because decisions you made yesterday. Think about that. Every part of your life today is a result of the decisions you made yesterday, your education, your education, what level of education you have. I watch so many young people and they drop out of school, They all they want is to get money and they break the season of education in their life and abandon the education too early and then they go through this massive dip where the opportunities are very little until they come to their senses and then... They now, in a different season, have to try and regain the lost ground. It's always harder when it's out of season. So uh, all kinds of areas like that. Your, your family, the choice of your partner is probably one of the most important decisions about, apart from choosing Christ, because it's a lifelong commitment to walk in friendship with one another. You mess it up, oh my, you have sorrows. But if you get it right, oh my, you have joys. And you see, so uh, you think about family. Your investment in family will determine whether you look back years later and say, uh, what a joy my family is to me, or whether you look back and say, what a grief and a sorrow it is. You make choices about the investment of your time and what is important. I'm glad looking back of the time we invested in family and the priorities we placed around family. So your choices determine where you end up. Think about your spiritual growth. Your growth as a believer didn't stop the day you received Christ. It's actually an ongoing responsibility. And if you haven't changed in a year or two years, then you are neglecting spiritual growth. You must make decisions to do what is needed. Just coming to church doesn't ensure you grow. Coming to church in meetings puts you in an environment where God can touch you, but you've got to make the decisions that bring about growth in your life. That's your responsibility. God won't do that part for you. The growth in your life is the outcome of the decisions you make regarding your personal life daily with God, the hunger for the things of God, the value you place on the things of God, all those kind of things, many, many different things. Think about your health. For some people, you know, when you're young, you eat anything you want, as much as you want, you never worry, you drink as much as you like, you wake up with a headache and it's okay, get over it. But later on, you feel the effect of it when you've got gout or got some other liver problem or kidney problem, then you remember all those days when you could do what you wished, and now you're paying the price. So think about it, the neglect of health. Your health is the result, much mostly, of the decisions you make. Your influence in the community is a result of decisions you make. So it, no matter where you look at it, your choices determine the quality of life you have and the influence you're making on others. And so uh, you think about that. Uh, as I look back now, we've, we've grown our family, we have now 22, we've got another grandchild on the way, so there's 22 grandchildren, but we made, made decisions years ago about the value family would have in our life. Now, we're reaping the value of those decisions. When we were making them, some of the decisions didn't seem so smart, some of the decisions like decisions not to have a TV, decisions that we would guard our family time, decisions that we would have a family night every week, decisions that we would, I'd make appointments with my children and have time with them. That just seemed like crazy sort of stuff. But now we see the value of investing in family. The choices we've made have reflected a value on family. And I got that, uh, mostly I found that value in watching Joy's father and observing his life and seeing after 80 years Uh, 20-odd grandchildren honoring him, he'd invested in their lives for years. I saw then his brother, no grandchildren, two daughters, and there wasn't the same. There was just two people, same family, different courses, different values. And then years later, you see the consequence. One of the things that happens is you don't always see the consequences of your choices, but over a period of time, they add up. And that's the accumulative effect is the big one. And uh, we're going to see some choices are crucial. So God wants us to choose and choose carefully. So here's the second thing then is have a look in Proverbs 4.23. Personal decisions are essentially influenced by what you value in your heart, what you're holding in your heart, your viewpoint in life, your perspective in life, the way you look and think at life, what you carry in your heart is what will determine most of the decisions you make. We tend to think we make smart decisions based on having weighed everything up. We usually make them very emotionally and based on uh, prejudice and other things we've got in our heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart flows the issues of your life. In other words, the life you're living now reflects what you have valued in your heart, what you've treasured in your heart. If you've treasured bitterness, you'll have strife in all your relationships, or many of them. If you've treasured up unforgiveness, you'll have breaches everywhere. If you've treasured up love and grace in your heart, you'll find then there's a sweetness in your life and people are attracted to it. What have you treasured in your heart? So these are very important. The Bible talks about that. So let me share with you then. David shared uh, some wonderful things last week on perspective. Perspective is how you see or how you view what you're seeing. So think about this. We're living in a changed culture which is post-Christian. That means the next generation coming up need more than church on Sunday if they're to get a God perspective on life. For those of us who are of my generation, probably the majority aren't aware just how dramatic the changes are how wide the sweep is. We look at some of the fruit of it, some of the changes in laws regarding homosexuality and a whole lot of other things. And we but we haven't caught on to just the massive shift in the culture. It is post-Christian and the assumptions are non-Christian, non-biblical. That means if you're raising a family in this generation, then the pervasive influence will be away from the things that will build for godliness and a great future. In fact, It'll be away from all of those things most of the time. You have to be intentional at building the next generation. We need great people in our kids' church. We need great people working for our youth. We need great people laboring to help assist families with this amazing task of raising children for the next generation because they're facing challenges we didn't face. When we grew up or my generation grew up, the assumptions were based on a Christian ethic of the Ten Commandments. They were like a basic assumption, like even in those days, uh, if someone divorced, it was in the paper as a terrible thing. How about that? I mean, that's hard to believe, but that's how much it shifted in 50 years. So if there was some committed adultery, it was announced in the paper. You understand that the whole society has switched so far That what in in a generation ago would have been unthinkable now is acceptable, and actually there's a pressure for it to become the norm. Globally, there's pressure around the reformation of the homosexual laws. Globally, there's a pressure on governments everywhere. Even when we're in Singapore, huge pressure to favour the change, and the government giving into it, in that they... Uh, they demanded that the Christians not arise and do a peaceful protest when the gay people came out to promote their cause. They, they told the Christians, you can't meet, we fear conflict. Why did they choose to support that cause and not support healthy family cause? You understand, this is, these are global pressures, global influences. So it's really quite important, and the thing is that your personal decisions are influenced by what you think and what you believe in your heart. And without going into it, I want to just pick up one area that I want to look at and show you how what you believe or your perspective in your heart will actually affect your decisions, and that can have long-term effect on the next generation. Uh, so here's some things that can affect your, the way you make decisions. Number one is a mindset, the mindsets we have or traditions we have. The mindsets we have. In Acts chapter 10, Peter had a mindset that God was only interested in the Jews. And when God said, go to the Gentiles, this is what he said, not so, Lord. Imagine that, Peter, after three years walking with Jesus, no, we're not going to the Gentiles. He's so fixed with a mindset that God is exclusive to a certain group of people and not inclusive of the whole world. Church has got to watch it doesn't get into mindsets about what God can and will do because he's never going to be contained by that. Think about that. What got the Jews upset in Jesus' first preaching message and they wanted to kill him was when he said God actually helped out the Gentiles and didn't, didn't favor his own people at all at some points in history. Got them really upset. Uh, judgment. When you have judgments in your heart Matthew 7, verse 2 to 5, if you form a judgment about people whether it be a male or a female, man, woman, about authorities, about races, about different cultures. If you form judgments or opinions in your heart, they will influence how you connect and relate and the decisions you make. I have prayed for more people than I, than I would like to over this issue, that judgments they made against a father or a mother affected deeply the choice of the man or woman they got to marry. And They swore, "I'll never marry anyone like my father," and they just got the same one. How did you do that? <laughs> well, because clearly it wasn't to do with what you thought; it was to do with something flowing out of your heart. Now, I won't go into that, but I'm sure Peter and Sandy will cover some of our aspects of it. As Dave spoke last week, offenses in your heart will affect how you see things and, therefore, how you respond. Think in Mark chapter six, verse three to five. And you find Jesus, now Jesus anointed, anointed with power beyond belief, able to raise the dead, do all kinds of things, comes into his hometown, he can do no mighty miracle because they were offended with him. Now, here's an interesting thing. Do not think it's any different today. There's no minister can bring the power of God to you if you harbor offense in your heart. It actually stops and blocks what God can do for you through people. Now think about this, if you harbor issues with people around you, then they can't contribute to your life either. And what if God had someone in his body he wanted to use to help you in your next breakthrough, but you have got an attitude about them, you can't receive what God could do through them to help you. We make decisions that have great impact on the course of our life. Now think about this, Jesus himself came a visitation to his hometown. Can you imagine him coming, wanting to touch the people in his town? Knowing the people are sick, knowing the people that needed help, coming to his own town, and the grief he must have felt when they had such offense in their heart, he was shut down in his gift and unable to function. It's so different today. Receiving one another, having a perspective of honor of one another, is what releases what God can do through each other. Think about that. Okay, here's another one that can, that can deeply affect the, the way you make decisions, and that is the area of, of hatred in the heart. Hatred. 1 John 2, it tells us if you have hate in your heart or unresolved anger against people, what will happen is you can't see why your life is being messed up. You keep stumbling. I found that, again, in conflicts and people's situations, you find unresolved hatred changes their perspective and the decisions they make, and it seems to lead with all kinds of problems. In Luke 24, Jesus' disciples were disappointed. Disappointment can stop you seeing clearly. Get disappointed in God, you can't see what he's doing. You get disappointed in his people, you can't see what God's trying to do in them either. And I found globally, there are struggles over this area as God seeks to change his church. Think about this. If God is wanting to change his church, which he's done consistently through history, think about this. You first have to see its lack and the need for change before you embrace the change. And so the dilemma is if you find a fence or start to get an attitude in your heart, you can't be part of what God is wanting to do. You end up making decisions that lead you away from where God is wanting you to be. The disciples were disappointed because God didn't do what they thought, and they moved away from their call. were—they were, they were, It's only Jesus' intervention that stopped them walking completely away from the call of God. I wonder how many people you know that have walked away from the call of God because of disappointment in how Jesus handled them or what, I didn't get what I expected. It didn't work out like I thought. And so those are some of the things. So wisdom is being able to see life from God's perspective. Wisdom. Wisdom is being able to see life from God's point of view. Now, I've noticed with Pentecostals this kind of thing, and I may do a message just on this whole area of how to get this balance right. Pentecostals tend to wait for God to tell them what to do all the time, so that they want God to tell them what to do. Now, the problem is that undermines the very relationship he wants you to have with him whereby you bring to the table your dreams, desires, and your heart. What it does is it puts the burden on him or the responsibility on him to tell you what to do. It makes you a master slave instead of a father-son working together. So the two things we have to keep in balance are with revelation, God talking to us. And wisdom, where you adopt the ways of God, the principles of the kingdom, and you govern your life according to sound principles. This is a balance to get. If you're running a business, run it on wisdom. You don't want to have to run it asking for miracles all the time. You want to run it on sound wisdom. Yes, you can have miracles on the way, but they should be the exception rather than the rule. What you need is not miracles, what you need is favor. And favor comes when you walk in wisdom. Now, I'll get on to that maybe another time. But these are, these are something. So, and the Bible says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Yeah, wisdom, God is the source of wisdom. Now, I want you to have a look at this story. This is where we're leading to in Genesis chapter 13. And I want to show you something which is very relevant for the day that we live in, Genesis chapter 13. Because I, I, I observe this widespread through the world, and I hear people talking to me about an emerging generation that thinks and operates this way. In 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 Genesis chapter 13, it says, Abram, verse 1, Abram went up from Egypt and his wife and all he had and lot with him to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Very rich. Isn't that good? Very rich. Very rich. Very rich. And he went on the journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where the tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. So where he was at the beginning? Between Bethel and Ai, a place of an altar. Now just stop there and we'll move on. Basically, he's now returning to where he'd been and a big decision is about to be made. And so he's returned, the place he's returned to is where he first made an altar of commitment and heard from God. Okay, so he's come to a place... Where, he's, uh, where there was a former altar, in other words, come back to a place of decision or worship of God Now, the, notice that the the, the 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 place of this altar has got Bethel on one side and Ai on the other side and, and notice which way they are, Bethel and Ai Bethel means house of God Ai means heap of rubbish and ruins, means like a pile of broken down ruins So notice the place he's making a decision on one side, on the one side, the house of God, and all that it stands for, the blessing, the destiny, the purpose of God. On the other side, a heap of ruins. So he's positioned now, and a decision is about to be made, and the place of decision is between this place and that place there. Now, see what happens there. It says, uh, it says in verse uh, 5, Lot also went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. Now, Lot was Abram's nephew. Now, the first thing to see about this is, is we look at the example of Lot. Abram was the one who got revelation, and he was given direction, and he was given a promise of blessing. As he journeyed with God, blessing came on him. Now, notice this. Blessing came on those connected to him. Lot did not come into blessing because he was a clever man. Lot did into blessing because he was connected to a blessed man. His blessings were the consequence of a relationship with Abraham and Abraham living under the grace of God. It's a great picture for us that as we're connected to Christ, to Jesus Christ, the blessing in him are all the blessings of God that connected to him, related to him, we enjoy the blessings. Notice that the riches, the gold, the tents, everything that Abraham had, the blessing fell on Lot and he got some too. Not because he's good, just because he's connected. Connection is important in the kingdom. So, because he's connected, now there came a problem. And here's what happened they were doing so well, and so rich have many problems. And they got so wealthy, the lamb was not able to support them. They might dwell together for their possessions were so great. So, was, so they, they had more money. They had a lot more money. They're doing very well, thank you. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock, and the Canaanites and Perizzites then the, the dwelt in the land. Now, you notice now what's happened is as they've journeyed and they've journeyed together, blessing has come upon Lot because of his connection and association, but also the blessings got so big that troubles have come. So with growth comes difficulties. With blessing of finances comes responsibility. There's difficulties come. I've sat with rich men. You have no idea the difficulties they have. You would not want the difficulties they have. You may want the money they have, but not the difficulties that come with it and the challenges that come with it and the people they can't trust who want the money. And I've sat sat there with what I would call a billionaire, and he's talked, I've got no real friends because I really never know why they're friendly with me. What their motive is. The rich have many friends. And then they lay awake at night wondering how they're going to keep the money and not have someone rip them off. There are many problems. Many problems. So they had many problems. The conflict came up. So there was a strife. Strife comes when people all want their own way. And so there's a pride issue involved in it. Now, you notice here what happens. That they have to resolve this conflict. And so Abram said to Lot, Please don't let there be strife between you and me and the brethren, uh, herdsmen and, and your herdsmen. We're brothers. So he said... But we're brothers. We don't want this conflict. Isn't the whole land before us? Why don't we separate? You take the left and I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. In other words, he's saying, Hey, I'm giving you the choice. What I don't want is this conflict. We should be at peace because we're brothers. We should not be in hostility. Uh, we need to be living together in a place of harmony, unity, and flow together. And uh, so here's the deal you can choose whichever way you like. Now, that's incredibly gracious of him. He's the one who's the source of the blessing, he's the one that got his blessing. Lot's got everything because he's connected to him, and he's saying, listen, you can make a choice. I'll show you why he could make that decision in a moment, and it's all to do with perspective. It's all to do with how you see, and you'll see two statements in here, and have to do with how you see. Now, look what happens here in verse 10. Lot lift up his eyes. In verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated, you lift up your eyes. So both of them lifted up their eyes, and they had a look at their circumstances. Every one of us has an outlook, a viewpoint with which we view our life, and how you view it really makes a big difference in what you decide. So Lot lifted up his eyes, and listen, he saw the plain of Jordan, whoa, well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord. Uh, it was like the garden of the Lord and like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the plain of jo- Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from one another and Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot pitched in the cities of the plain, pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now we'll just stop there. I want to pick up several things about what he did and then why he did it. Now, the first thing to notice is this, he lifted up his eyes and saw, so he had a look to see what the situation was, and he made a choice. Now, he made his choice out of a certain framework of seeing this. He made his choice out of certain motivations in his heart. When me have a look at it, what happens. Now, if you, here's the thing, it says he journeyed east. If you read further back in the scripture in Genesis 12 verse 8, you'll find that on the east was Ai, meaning ruin So if he went to the east, Abraham went to the west Abraham went to Bethel, the house of God So notice, if we just pick it up then He made a decision to move to what looked good but eventually would end up in ruin He made a decision to go to where he could have all the advantages of the world without the connection with Abraham In other words, what he wanted to do, he was seeking to advance his own cause. Basically, his mentality is like a mentality that's in the culture today. What's in this for me? What can I get out of it? And how can I use you to get me where I want to get? So now he's used him to get as far as he's got. Now, here's the deci- this is what he should have done. He should have, when he had that opportunity presented, he should have recognized that the source was Abraham and God's blessing on him. He should have honoured Abraham and said, Abraham, this is not for me to make that decision, you make the decision. He should have actually sought guidance and placed value on the relationship and honour on the person of Abraham. Instead, it exposed his motivation which was really, how can I get me ahead? How can I use you to get me ahead? Now, I don't know whether you recognise, but in the culture today, this is a widespread motivation. Basically. How can you get me ahead? And if you can't get me ahead and someone else can, then I've got no loyalty to you whatsoever. Relationship isn't important. Commitment isn't important. What is important is me and me going forward. But what he did not recognize was the consequences of that fundamental decision based on me first and neglect to stay connected to my source, neglected to honor my source. Now... You've got to understand this, that if you neglect to honour Christ as your source and honour the people of God he's put in your life to help you, to bless you, if you disconnect in that way, then you'll find there's a path of ruin lies down the road. But you never see it. See, what did he see? He saw the ground. It looked so good. He saw the plain look so well-watered. He saw it look like the Garden of Eden. It looks absolutely... I can't see how this could possibly go wrong. This is a great investment. It's a great decision, but he fundamentally violated the principle of the kingdom, which is about kingdom connection and kingdom honour. Basically, he had selfish ambition, just what's in this for me. How can I get myself ahead? What a terrible decision. you know what happened? If you follow the progression, here's what happened. First, he looks and he sees. Secondly, he wants and he chooses. Thirdly, he pitches his tent near the city. The next time you find him in the next chapter, he's living in the city And then finally, he's at the gates of the city. He's in a place of authority in the city. In other words, he has moved from identifying with God and his purposes to now total compromise with the world system God is about to bring judgment on. Now, we are to be involved in the world, connected to the world, engaged with it. We should never lose our connection with kingdom, connection with God, and connection with his purpose. Here's what Abraham said. Look what Abraham said. And so when you follow it, you find that this decision of lots cost him everything. Absolutely cost him everything. He lost the lot. He lost everything. Think about it. He lost his wife. He lost his riches. He lost his daughters. He ended up losing his character, and then he certainly lost his legacy because you find him in a, te- you find him in a cave drunk having sex with his daughters, creating two abominations, the Ammonites and the Moabites, which created problems for years to come. One decision based on a wrong motivation led to a path. It wasn't just the one. It's the first decision led him down the path. He moved away from the house of God, away from the call of God, away from the blessing of God, and began to advance his own cause. He'd used the things of God to get him ahead. Now he sees an advantage over here to use them, and he went down with them. That's, I don't think if he had ever looked, you see, what he, when he stood and looked and all he could see was the personal advantage, what he never could see was the consequence of those decisions. Separating from God and his purposes has devastating consequences, not just for yourself, but the next generation. I don't want to refer to anything, just but I notice over years of watching people, years not just one year or two years, 30 years of watching people, what I've been deeply concerned about are the families of people that separate from their connection with God and his purposes for whatever offense or reason and begin to walk their own journey away from God. What it affects is the children. The children aren't in a framework or environment where they're nurtured and encouraged and have friends that go forward with God. It's really important within a church family that the young people have friends that connect with them that bring them forward or encourage them in the things of God. Very important for teenagers making great decisions in their life that people are encouraging them forward in the things of God because if they don't and they separate from Christian influence, then you find they now have a different realm of influence, and after all your friends are angry at your parents, you'll be angry at your parents. After all your friends are happy to sleep with round and sleep with one another, you'll be thinking there's the same thing. You see, it requires an intentional commitment to the things of God to stay in that flowing river of blessing. Uh, it, it just grieves me the number of young people I have seen and I've asked after them and oh, well, this one's there, and that blew up, and this happened, and that's happened, and that's happened. Some of you who are leaders in the church know of some of those young people that we've sown in, and when families made bad decisions, bad choices, not out of revelation, being led by God, but out of offense or disappointment or whatever, it had huge consequences on their family. You need to, to understand that. So notice with, with Abraham. Here's the interesting thing I love about Abraham was his whole perspective. See, now, Abraham took a look too. he had a look around. God said, hey, look out there. He said, see that land? He said, you know what? He said, I know Abra- I know Lot's made his decision, but actually, the whole lot's going to become yours. He went, now, here's the thing that Abraham had. Abraham had a promise from God. So before Abraham saw that piece of land, he had a promise from God, I'm going to give you all this area. So it didn't matter to him what but he gave up because he wasn't worried about what he could see. He was leaning on the promise of God. It's the same with his son, Isaac. God had said, I'm going to give you the son. So when God said, offer him up, he, knew, he had a promise. He had a promise that he'd have a son. Then he had the son, and God said, give him up. He still had the promise. Oh, you still have a son. I'm going to raise up a seed through this. In other words, he had God's perspective on his life. He listened to God, heard what God had to say, held what God had to say, and that freedom, notice now, he can take initiative to solve strifes because he's not worried about the outcome. He's not got an investment in it. He can actually go and he can seek out peace because now he's got God's perspective. That's the kingdom of God is about peace and relationships. And the third thing is he can go and give others the choice. He didn't have to contend because he's trusting God for his solution. I wonder how many times we contend to get ahead at the expense of others not realizing what it's costing us long term in living that way. What a much greater thing is to say, I want to live to honour God. I want to live to build his house, a house that honours him. I want to live for his pleasure. And at the end of your life, you'll look back and you'll see the fruit. There will be fruit. There'll be great fruit. There'll be outstanding fruit. So here's just a couple of questions to finish as we close now for you to think about. Firstly, just close your eyes for a moment. I want you to think, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to me about today? About my choices about my decisions, about my commitments? What is God saying to me today? Holy Spirit, speak. There's a second question for you to think about. How much do you value or place value on God's word and direction when you're making decisions? If you're making decisions about your future, decisions that will affect your family, affect other people. What value do you place on listening to God or looking for the principles of his word because if you have those principles they actually make the decision for you what value do you place on relationships and the impact of them when you make your decisions in other words when you're making a decision do you weigh up how this will impact people and seek to walk in peace and finally is there any decision you're facing now where you really need to get God's perspective on this You need to hear what God has to say, either through his word, through direct hearing the Holy Spirit, or through listening to godly counsel that brings wisdom. Is there any decision you're facing now that really, instead of looking and taking the attractive easy route, you need to listen and hear what God has to say? It will bring peace to your life. It will bring great fruit in your life. Finally, as you look back, can you identify any decisions you've made that in hindsight, they were hasty, they were made without considering God and his role and plan for your life and staying connected to him, they didn't consider the value of people and how it might affect them, you just made that dumb decision and then look where it led you, maybe in a husband and you just didn't listen to your wife's counsel, they end up in such a mess, she's looking at you with, I told you so, look. And you realize, I really blew it. Or perhaps it's been in a relationship, maybe in finances. God is able to help redeem you right now if you just open that part of your life to Him. Jesus, we want to be wise in the kingdom. We want to make great decisions. We want to go from strength to strength. So Lord, today, we turn to You. We ask forgiveness for decisions that have been foolish, made without consideration for the principles of your word for honoring you and honoring the people that we're connected to give us for those decisions help us to make decisions based on the principles of your word, decisions based on a value of you and a value of people help us to make decisions Lord and commitments which will advance us forward in your plan and purposes we don't want to be like Lot We don't want to find our life at the end just comes crashing down and we look back with bitter regret at the terrible decisions we've made. But we look back like Abraham and see blessing after blessing after blessing. Mistakes made, but blessing after blessing after blessing because we stayed connected to you and your purposes in this day. Young people, if you're here today, what is God speaking to you about in this message? about the decisions you're making, about friends, about employment, about education, about where you're going, what you're doing, about the value placed on the things of God. Make a decision today. You'll change. Father, we just thank you that, Lord, through wisdom and revelation, we can walk in great blessing, be a great influence to our community. We pray, Lord, that immaturity will diminish and the church will grow stronger, more mature, arise in strength, Arise and value on you, value on your house. Lord, we honor you today. Give you all the thanks. We are a blessed people. The same blessing that came on Christ is upon us. We are blessed. Now, Lord, help us to wisely walk in that blessing in Jesus' name. Become a source of blessing to our community, blessing to our nation, blessing beyond in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. God bless. Let's stand up. Let's finish with a great song, shall we?